Welcome, happy warriors. Thank you for being part of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. I think I'm going to have to publish a Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show dictionary because, uh, you know, for instance, nowadays when I speak about public schools in the United States of America, I don't use the word public schools, I just use the word geek because I assume that uh, by now, pretty much everyone who's a regular listener to the show knows that a government indoctrination camp is a far, far better term for the place where children for more than 10 years of their life spend the majority of each day, yeah, being indoctrinated. To what? To the official government religion of the United States, which is the uh, religion of secular fundamentalism. And uh, that is what is happening. So, you know, if I say geek, then you know, yeah, government indoctrination camp, and you know what that means. Well, uh, henceforth, I am no longer using the word fossil fuel. Uh, this was pointed out, and I, I mentioned last week, David in Los Angeles wrote, and he made an excellent point. Uh, the, the word fossil is very carefully selected. Uh, the left wants to make sure that we all begin to look at petroleum fuels and coal-based fuels and natural gas-based fuels, they want us to look at all these wonderful energy sources uh, with repugnance and disgust, you know, something dead and something that uh, has no relevance to It's just a fossil. And uh, this, in fact, is, is, is a word that is used deliberately in, in this particular context quite often. You see, there was a, uh, an eminent British historian, not a particularly good historian, but he was an eminent historian. Um, his name was Arnold Toynbee, and uh, he lived until about 1975, somewhere there. And, uh, um, you know, not a particularly bright guy, but he'd hung out there in academia all his life and he'd moved from rung to rung to rung. That's kind of how it works in academia. And uh, people then begin to accept the words because people have been trained in what I call credentialism. And, uh, and this has happened to me uh, quite often as well. People will sometimes come up to me after a speech and they, uh, they say something very interesting. They say, you know, uh, I heard you explain during your speech, what, uh, you know, whatever it is, maybe it was something about energy or whatever. Today we're talking about energy again. And, uh, and I said, yeah, that's right. That's right. So they said, well, uh, you don't have a degree in uh, energy or in climate studies or whatever it is I was talking about. And I was saying, oh, you're absolutely right. I don't, I don't, but it's irrelevant. What's that got to do with the conversation? Well, what gives you the right to talk on that subject? Um, the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. Now, you're not obliged to have bought a ticket to come and hear me. You didn't have to do that. But once you are here, I have the right to speak about anything. So a pause, and then they say, yeah, but you don't have a degree in that subject. And I say, yes, you are right, but let's just make this a conversation between you and me, right? Both reasonably sentient human beings. Why don't you listen to the actual words I said 
and then you tell me if they are false or if I was illogical or if I simply made a mistake and cited incorrect information, you tell me what's wrong with it. But don't try and attack something I said, which I understand makes you feel very uncomfortable. Don't try and it by saying I haven't been authorized by the academy to speak on the topic. You see, that's where we're at today, and there's a whole lot of that going on. So please, um, don't feel that you have to restrain your opinion, right? You have an opinion, and you're a person who is aware of how the world really works. Your opinion probably has some validity to it. And uh, people sometimes issue caveats before they speak, and they say, well, um, I'm not uh, educated in this area, or I have no qualifications in this area, but you don't have to say that. You really don't. You know, it's up to the other person to say, well, uh, you know, here are some of the arguments against what you say. All right, we can talk about that. But the attempt to discredit information because it was uttered by somebody who has not been anointed by the academy, that's just a really bad idea, given how many incredibly foolish people serve on the faculties of colleges and universities around America today. Um, you know, I mean, gosh, uh, talk about the 1619 Project, the New York Times uh, ran with that one, and um, and the woman who came up with it, a journalist with, with no advanced degrees, by the way, I think she has a master's, normally to get a tenured job in, in, uh, in um, academia, you kind of need, need a doctorate degree. And again, look, I, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm, I, there are certain things I like to point out um, that are, are so unbelievably stupid, they could only have been said by somebody with a doctoral degree. Now, is that uh, sour grapes because I don't have a doctoral degree? That's for you to judge. But um, on the whole, people who have doctoral degrees in anything outside the scientific and mathematical fields. You got a PhD in molecular biology, Believe me, I'll stand up when you walk into the room. That's uh, that's fine. You got a PhD in mathematics. You got a PhD in physics. You got a PhD in computer science. Um, I'm I'm going to listen to you. I won't have much to say on the topic in front of you, but um, but I'm sorry if you have a PhD in psychology or a PhD in interpretive dance or in contemporary art or gender studies, etc., 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 all of the unbelievably asinine and childish areas in which American universities today award degrees, uh, yeah, not so much, you know. So uh, that's why I, uh, I, I feel uh, okay telling you that Arnold Toynbee uh, was a historian who wasn't the, the brightest crayon in the box. He just wasn't. And especially in a field where there are some incredibly wonderful historians. I've spoken many times about Paul Johnson and, um, and many, many others. There are some extraordinary historians. Victor Davis Hanson, by the way, a professor uh, at Stanford in California, is also a farmer, and, um, and he's a great historian. So anyways, I tell you all this because remember I'm, I'm not using the word fossil. I want to just give you the backstory to this. So Arnold Toynbee is this British historian. And uh, so his theory 
and he like he built his whole career on this and you know a lot of people are like that uh, you know you, you could even criticize me and say well you know i see the bible and religion at the root of everything yeah i do because i think that's true and i'm willing to argue it and debate it and and demonstrate why i believe that but yes that's that is my thing if you like uh arnold toynbee's thing was that um world civilizations rise and fall and um and that in itself, you know, is not particularly uh, controversial. Some of you who are regular listeners to this show might remember that a few months ago, I did a show on um, a 250-year average time life of a culture or a civilization or a society. And uh, I pointed out that the United States, uh, you know, has only got about another five years to go to get to 250 years. And indeed, if, if, if one looks around, you begin to see the validity of that particular podcast when I was speaking about. So, so this idea that civilizations rise and fall, you know, nobody really argues with that. The problem was that uh, students used to say to Arnold Toynbee, particularly in the middle of the 20th century, um, he was born in the 19th century still, um, so he was already teaching in you know 1950, and round about then people started saying to him, well, there is an easy way to refute your theory. You've proven and again, not uh, not particularly controversially, that when the Babylonian civilization finally faded away, it was gone. When the Roman Empire was gone, it was gone. And you've always told to us that uh, the Empire of Israel, the Hebrew Empire, that was destroyed finally by the Romans in round about the year 70. And, um, and it, it was gone. But here's the awkward thing. Israel was founded in 1948. The state of Israel rose again. And this violates your theory that once a civilization is dead and gone, it's dead and gone, never to resurface, never to rise again. And so Toynbee realized he had to answer this. And he answered it. He said, uh, modern Israel is just a fossil. Um, and he used that word fossil. And uh, th his idea being, look, this is not really, uh, the people of Israel are dead and gone. The Hebrew people are finished and forgotten, just like the Sumerians and the, uh, and the early Greeks and everybody, the Egyptians, everybody's gone. Uh, and so are they. What you see now is a fossil. Sometimes, you know, in rock, archaeologists will uncover the fossil of a dinosaur and that's not really the dinosaur, but um, its bones decayed and went away. And in the rock, the rock didn't form normally around where the bones were. It's a slightly different kind of uh, rock. And so you can chip it away and you will end up with a three-dimensional object that very closely resembles the original creature that died and was buried by the rock there. Uh, but it isn't that thing, you see. And he, and he said, so that's, uh, Israel is just a fossil. Well, as you can imagine, um, that got people pretty upset. Um, I, you know, I wasn't uh, around at the time. I wasn't sort of aware of anything. 
but uh, but if you look at the uh, articles and the uh, academic record of the time, as you can imagine, people in Israel got very upset and very unhappy, and uh, because he was, you know, he was prominent, and and when a prominent professor says something, the newspapers are eager to print it, particularly if what he says. Uh, fits into the idea and the vision of what they want to believe, namely that this is really awkward. I mean, we thought we thought the Jews were gone. Uh, the final ending would have been the massacre of millions of Jews in World War II, and that would be the end of them. And now, a few years after the end of World War II, they're back. You know, it's like the zombies. You can't keep them away. And so, uh, a lot of people liked. Torinby's explanation that Israel is just a fossil of history, and that's what happened. Well, um, a side part of the story, and I, I won't take more than a, a moment to tell you this, is that um, um, the uh, Israeli ambassador to Canada at the time was a Dr. Jacob Herzog, and he was uh, he was uh, Israel's ambassador to Canada. He was the son of the former chief rabbi of Israel, a brilliant rabbi, Isaac Herzog. And um, so Jacob Herzog, the ambassador to Israel, went ahead and invited Professor Toynbee to a debate to discuss this topic. And contrary to the advice of many of his friends, and contrary to the advice of his wife, by the way, she was overheard during the debate, uh, whispering to him, I told you not to accept this debate. Anyway, um, uh, diplomat Jacob Herzog from Israel debated um, uh, Arnold Toynbee in Montreal, and uh, I think it was at McGill University in Montreal, at, at any rate, um, as anybody who was there or anybody who listens to a recording of that debate which was quite fascinating um it's perfectly clear that um that jacob herzog wiped the floor with arnold toynbee it was embarrassing i mean it was it was truly a uh, the the history professor put up an embarrassing performance and and you know you could say he's a he's a history professor he's not used to debating by the time you become a professor of history in england uh, people listen to what you say they don't argue with you but uh, jacob herzog uh, really gave him a hiding that day and um, and one of the very memorable moments is that the head of the student union, who I think was hosting the debate, uh, when everyone had finished and when he was uh, closing the proceedings, he said something like, and I, I don't have the recording in front of me today, but he said something like, uh, I don't think there is any doubt in anyone's mind as to who won the debate. And... Uh, with an incredible display of graciousness, Jacob Herzog leaned forward and grabbed his microphone and said, um, and Mr. Chairman, uh, there are, are no winners or losers. This was a discussion that was carried out honorably by all the participants. And um, people who were there say that uh, Toynbee got tears in his eyes because of that amazingly gracious uh, ending to the debate. At any rate, um, that is an example of how fossil is used to dismiss somebody or something, okay? And uh, so fossil fuel, um, when they came up with that word for coal or petroleum or natural gas, 
the idea specifically was that you should think that it's you know something finished and forgotten of the past of no practical use at all they were not saying that it's made out of fossils because everybody knows that's not true right fossils <laughs> fossils have no fuel in them you can't burn fossils and fossils can't make fuel uh, but it was given that word that name to try and make people feel negatively about it and heaven knows it worked i don't think there's any question about it it did play an effect there's no there's no doubt in my mind that part of the uh, the ambivalence that people feel towards petroleum oh it's fossil fuel we mustn't use fossil fuel so um for the rabbi Lappen, daniel lapin show dictionary um you will find that the correct word for fossil fuels is gg fuels capital letter g capital letter g uh, gg fuels standing for god-given fuels that's right because as i explained last week uh, there are two completely incompatible views on energy one is that it's fossil fuel and we're running out and it's bad for the environment all of these things not valid and um, the other view is that these are god-given gifts god-given gifts uh, to enable human beings not to consume their precious years on this earth by drudgery having to walk to places and having to uh, cut firewood and all the things that basic survival in a subsistence environment take up your life you know uh, you don't expect uh, people who are subsistence farming peasants in India uh, to be writing great poetry or discovering new discoveries. They can't. I mean, life is such a struggle. It's sheer drudgery from early in the morning to late at night. And God says, that's not how I want it to be. Use the stuff. And so uh, henceforth, uh, when I refer to petroleum or coal, or uh, natural gas gg fuels that's right god given fuels that's what it is use them always in good health now a recent thought tool which you can read on our website it is the uh, the, the the most recent right at this moment it's called frozen in fear and in it i provide the idea that a fear can paralyze you and if you look at ways in which you are being held back from your god-given destiny you're being held back from what you were created to achieve and to accomplish something or another it's like it's uh, it's as if some invisible malign force is obstructing your progress and uh, when that happens it's always good to ask yourself what is scaring me what is frightening me and this thought tool is an analysis of how fear uh, can impede the progress you should be making and also how to deal with that and um, as is the case with every thought tool at the end i usually uh, refer to some resource in our store that addresses this topic for further study for people who want to go into it more deeply and 
after each thought tool, uh, there are letters, right, that people write. You can post your comments after reading a thought tool. And here is one from a lady called Corinne. And she wrote, I really enjoy your podcast and your emails. But after I read them, I then see you are soliciting for money. I don't feel good about that. And here is my answer, which you can see on uh, on our website at rabbidaniellappin.com. Go to teachings, and under teachings, you'll see thought tools. And under the first thought tools, you'll see uh, frozen in fear. And then if you look through the comments, you'll see Corinne's comment. And here is my response, and I, I'm going to read it to you. Um, Dear Corinne, your letter is so very interesting. Firstly, because it crops up from different readers every year or so. And second, because it so brilliantly reveals the seductiveness of popular fallacies about money. Though I have answered it before in these pages, I will answer it again here in order to honor you for taking the time to write. Before going any further, I want to make clear that we are not soliciting for money, though why that should be a problem I have no idea, but we are offering goods for sale. Please note that we do not charge you anything for reading this material or for listening to the podcast, which you said you really enjoy though there is obviously some cost associated with producing and publishing this material for your enjoyment. In the store section of this website, you will see that we offer books like Thou Shall Prosper and Business Secrets from the Bible, as well as instructional courses like the Financial Prosperity Program and Scrolling Through Scripture. This is because there is such widespread misunderstanding about money. With no intention to be personal or to offend, it is clear that you consider the process of earning or making money to be morally questionable. After all, you use the phrase, I don't feel good about it. From my knowledge and my experience, I state with certainty that most people who feel that the process of making money through voluntary and consensual financial transactions is morally tainted are people who tend to be fatally handicapped in their own efforts to make money. Um, folks, you'll pardon me. I'm going to read one more time because I can't overemphasize the importance of all of us understanding that if we do not understand what money is, and we don't understand the spiritual nature of financial transactions, we end up confusing making with taking, earning with stealing, profit with plunder. And the result of that is that it really handicaps us in our own financial ambitions. So I'm, I'm going to read the sentence one more time as I wrote it to Corinne. From my knowledge, experience, I state with certainty that most people who feel that the process of making money through voluntary and consensual financial transactions is morally tainted are people who tend to be fatally handicapped in their own efforts to make money. In other words, people who deep in their hearts consider making money to be morally reprehensible are severely restricted in their financial ambitions by that very belief. 
Now, let's glance at the last time you purchased a beautiful pair of shoes, Corinne, one that you really enjoyed wearing. Turns out that it was perhaps an advertisement in a magazine you read that alerted you to the availability of those particular shoes. Countless people saw that advertisement and ignored it because they were not in the market for purchasing a new pair of shoes. Did you feel not good about this advertisement? Surely not. Therefore, the only reason I can see for why my advertisement makes you feel not good must be that you feel that commercial transactions are incompatible with biblical teachings. And so since I'm providing a biblical teaching in the thought tool or maybe in the podcast, or maybe because I'm a rabbi, uh, you feel uncomfortable with the advertisement for a consensual financial transaction. Yet, the five books of Moses brought down from God on Mount Sinai contain far more rules and regulations about financial transactions than they do about any other category of moral teachings. What is more, Bible teaching through the lens of ancient Jewish wisdom illustrates how financial transactions allow strangers to please one another. You were happy with the shoe store proprietor who made your new shoes possible, and he was happy with you being a customer which allowed him to put cornflakes on his breakfast table. Yes, voluntary and consensual free market transactions make God smile in that they allow his children to serve one another's needs. In every sense of the word, Financial transactions are holy. I know this is not how the world of popular culture sees it, but as in so many other areas, that world has it wrong. What we do in each of our emails or in our podcasts is to try to provide uplifting and applicable Bible-based wisdom, and then we invite you to pursue the topic further in one or another of the resources we create, publish, and sell. That way, should you, of your own free will, decide to participate, you obtain instructional and educational material unavailable elsewhere, and we obtain the wherewithal to place cornflakes upon our breakfast table. And should you, of your own free will, decide not to participate and not to purchase anything from our store, That is fine also. We are still happy you read our material and listen to our podcast and enjoy it all for free. But there is certainly no reason for our advertisement to make you feel, quote, not good. We do hope this helps you adjust your money thinking. Best wishes, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. And I mention that because I just wonder if there are any folks who, listening to the podcast and uh, noting me now, mention the availability of a wonderful resource at our store on our website, I wondered if, you know, maybe some of you also think, well, that's a little unseemly, isn't it? I mean, after all, surely the worlds of ancient Jewish wisdom and money should be separate. And the answer is no, it's precisely ancient Jewish wisdom that makes financial prosperity possible in countries that were founded with an awareness of that information. 
but that's of course a uh, another topic entirely what i did want to mention was that uh, i have truly a wonderful program called scrolling through scripture the first unit comprises 20 lessons each lesson is a video program of half an hour or so and uh, this takes us through the first 34 verses of genesis it is absolutely foundational to understanding the bible and it's absolutely fundamental to understanding how and why the bible has shaped western civilization or i could just say civilization and it's uh, of principal importance to understand why and how biblical information can improve your life in the context of your finances your family your friendships your faith and your physical fitness that's right all of those things flow from how you understand these first basic 34 verses in which god introduces himself to humanity so um, that lesson that course called scrolling through scripture as i say made up of 20 lessons uh, what my office has just done is they've made the first lesson uh, available free as a sample the idea is you'll see it and uh, and we're very sure that you will find it so important for your life that you'll want to go ahead and get the rest of them as well if not then not that's also fine then you'll get benefit out of the first one and uh, and no business succeeds if it's not willing to give before it gets and so we're very happy to give and we are very happy when people uh, take advantage of this free uh, half hour program so uh, it's called scrolling through scripture it's lesson one and uh, if you go to the website rabbi daniel and do a little search around uh, go to online courses you will find uh, how you can listen to this uh, first lesson absolutely free just listen to it right now watch it enjoy it and the um, uh, the descript the, the 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 URL for how to do it. I will try and make sure we put in the description under today's podcast, and you should be able to click on that as well if you'd like to. So uh, that is the uh, the principle as we lay it out in terms of understanding what role um, uh, advertisement plays. I want to read um, a few letters. I get a lot of letters in the mail from uh, listeners to the podcast, and I and they come in the email. I'm going to read some to you um, because I'm wondering if you are interested in what other people say, and maybe you'd even be interested in responding to other people. The reason I ask this is because I want you to tell me whether you would find a discussion forum on the podcast to be of value to you. In other words, the way that would work is uh, I would have a forum page on our website, which we do not have yet at the moment, uh, but we'd put that up. And then as soon as the podcast is posted every week, I would go on that and I'd make sure that I put down not only the description, but also any other points that uh, I didn't mention in the podcast that are part of the idea. And then you can, at any time you want, can go to that page on the website and, and ask or comment. And right now, as many of you know, 
Um, there are many people, eh, not that many, but some people listen to the show on YouTube. And they, the, the show is usually not provided with videos, just sound. But there are some people, uh, you know, I don't know, a, a few thousand a week, up, you know, 2,000 to 10,000 a week, uh, listen to the show on YouTube. And they write comments on YouTube, as you can. And I, I do read those, and I respond to many of them, as, as you'll see if you were to take a look. You just go to YouTube, and then you look for the Rabbi Daniel Lappin channel. And there, on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin channel on YouTube, you will find uh, all of the podcasts in sequence. And so if we go ahead and do this, I'm going to stop responding on YouTube and only respond and interact with listeners on the forum page. What I'm asking you is to let me know if that would be of interest to you, if that would be of any use to you. Uh, would you be inclined to go along and take a look? And if um, a representative number of you feel it is, then we will put up that page and we'll give it a go, see how you like it. Uh, but go ahead for now if you want to say, you know, don't don't bother. I, I listen to the podcast. I really wouldn't have any interest in going along to discuss it on a forum with other listeners. Please tell me. And if, on the other hand, you, you think you might, well, tell me that as well. And the way you do that, of course, is go to RabbiDanielLappin.com. And uh, there's a tab there about us. And you drop the arrow down and you'll see um, contact us. And what you do is you uh, click on that. You shoot us an email right there, which uh, I assure you I will see. Just as I saw this one from Gloria, who writes, Thank you for your informational, thought-provoking, and inspiring podcasts, which I listened to all the way to the end. I do so much appreciate what you do, and I feel blessed to profit from your teaching. I am a Christian who is thankful to God for the Judeo-Christian heritage our nation was founded upon, and I pray that he will save this great nation of ours. What she was responding to um, was I, I mused to myself during one of the podcasts in the last couple of weeks, few weeks, I shouldn't say couple, few weeks, I mused to myself towards the end saying, I wonder, you know, does everybody listen all the way to the end or, or do people sort of lose interest halfway, listen to some of it? Uh, but so she says, no, she, she goes all the way through. Um, and then here's one from Robin. Hi there. I am from South Africa and just wanted to let you know how much I'm enjoying Rabbi Daniel's teachings. Uh, so uh, happy to, to get that one. And um, here's one from Jim. Uh, I'm not Jewish, but I really enjoy your podcast. I just listened to the podcast from Friday, Hydrogen Bombs, Four Sets of Rituals That Save Civilization. That one was from um, like the middle of June 2021, I'm thinking, is when that one came out. Uh, it was called Hydrogen Bombs, Four Sets of Rituals That Save Civilization. And that was actually one of my favorites. I like that. So uh, Jim says he's not Jewish, but he enjoys the podcast and he's just listened to that one. I'm a new listener, having only listened to a handful of episodes, but this one really caught me. Yes, I listened all the way to the whole thing's end. The one part I would like to address uh, is the Prop 47 part of the conversation. It's about it in, in being in San Francisco, but he, Jim's quite right. He writes, it's a statewide California law, not just San Francisco, that was deception in the way it was written, and the uninformed voted for it. Shoplifters are literally using the calculators on their phones to make sure they steal less than $950 worth of goods. 
This is rampant throughout the state of California. Businesses are closing in areas where they cannot afford the loss-to-sales ratio. Then there is Prop 57 that reformed the early release rules. Between these two laws, we are in real trouble in California. Keep up the good work, and I'm working my way through past episodes. Thank you, Jim. And uh, I mean, I, I, by the way, I also get some critical uh, letters, and I've I've read those when I get them as well. But I am also aware that people who hate it do not usually write in. So I'm not fooling myself. Think, oh, everybody loves. It. No, I'm I'm sure there are a lot of people that are goaded to unreasonable fury by some of the things I speak about on the show, such as fuels like coal, gas and petroleum being gg fuels that's right god-given fuels if it didn't have too many syllables i'd say ggg fuels god-given gifts but uh, god-given fuels is quite sufficient um okay this one is from joshua uh hi rabbi lapin as requested on your most recent podcast i'm glad to inform you that i happily listen to the entirety of your show each week Thank you, as always, for sharing your wisdom with us, helping us dig deeper into Scripture and showing how it relates to us in every era. Um, And I responded to Joshua just pointing out that it's not my wisdom. I make no secret of it. I, I wish I was smart enough to have originated it all. But all I do is make accessible to all of you the ancient Jewish wisdom that I was blessed and fortunate enough um, to have been taught. Um, then, let's see, we got... Um, um i did i wanted there were a couple of others i wanted to tell you about as well um here's one from Catherine. um dear rabbi lapin i enjoy hearing you discuss topics that involve technology and engineering i'm a retired engineer that put herself through college back in the 1980s that was when very few women were enrolling in engineering schools since then Many colleges have dumbed down the requirements so as to attract more females into the STEM fields. STEM standing for science, technology, uh, engineering, and mathematics. As a result, the young people coming out of schools with engineering degrees are not as qualified as us older folks due to the political correctness nonsense. Also, there is a lot of age discrimination in the industry. Companies put emphasis on culture as opposed to whether or not one is qualified to do the job. I love your podcasts. Thank you very much, Catherine. And I I responded, I didn't entirely agree with with all your points, but I certainly appreciated your sentiments very much indeed. Not only appreciated, I mean, I really, I'll tell you, it's in, it's encouraging. You know, there, there are times my spirits are a little lower than they should be, and I, I, I let myself go. And sometimes, a, a little fuel to help me snap back is uh, is all it takes in the form of a letter. Uh, this is from a gentleman called Sinisa, and uh, he writes as follows: Dear Rabbi, first of all, I would like to introduce myself. I am a Croatian. My father's side were people inside of the concentration camp and he mentions the name of the camp, and my mother's side were Nazis. We died side by side, my father's side, with Jews, but we never forget to fight for freedom. In my country, Croatia, where I am coming from, we have again Jewish community, and I'm proud to be one of the people that is supporting them. Why do I support them financially and in social media? Let me explain that to you. I go to my work at 5 a.m. in the morning, 
and I listen to your podcast in my car driving 75 minutes every morning. At certain moments, you said that doing good for the children of God is important, just like God would be doing for your children. Okay, that, you know, that's, that's a little bit of a uh, free translation, if you like, uh, but um, I'm just reading his letter. Several times when my children were in danger on some, in some miraculous way, they were never injured. My sister, my nephew, and her man, uh, means I think her husband, didn't have corona. My parents and my women's parents also never had corona. By the way, in many languages, wife and woman are, are uh, the same word. So that explains, as he's writing in English, it's not his natural language, why he says my woman means his wife. And then he goes on, he says, coincidence? Maybe. Just one sentence helped me to be a better man and to help somebody. Why Jews? Why do I listen to you and how I got connected to your podcasts? I am investing in an Israel trading community, and they helped me a lot to earn the money so that my children can go to university and that we as family live better. These Israelis also helped me to get connections with the Jewish community in Croatia and to start learning Bible. And, and by the way, here comes, <laughs> here comes the best part. This is the end of the letter. He says, uh, I am an atheist period. Or, better said, I used to be an atheist. Why do I write this all? Because I want to encourage you to inform us all further in your podcasts. Thank you, my rabbi. Kind greetings, Sinisa. And uh, so, uh, Sinisa, thank you very much indeed. Uh, I did respond to your letter, uh, directly to your email. And uh, and I, I, I found it absolutely fascinating and, and, and really very heartwarming. So thank you for that. Um, here is one from Nathan. And I'm, I'm, I'm arriving at the end of this. Um, Nathan writes, uh, Rabbi, I love listening to your podcasts. I have a list of 30 podcasts on my phone. And yours is by far the best. I am an evangelical Christian, but a Rabbi Daniel Lappin evangelist. I get to listen to you while I work as I am a roofing contractor, and he gives the town in Western Canada. Um, and uh, so I think, I, I think that's, um, uh, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do one more, because this one actually has a bearing on uh, what I'm going to tell you. Uh, this, this letter wasn't just a letter, but it actually gave me some information of which I was not aware. Uh, okay, this is from and I'm going to tell you just the way he, he identifies himself, Ray from Livermore. And the reason that uh, I'm, I'm telling you is because that name, Ray from Livermore, resonates with me. Um, when I used to do my show on KSFO radio in San Francisco, I don't know, up to about, I was doing it up to about five or six years ago, approximately, seven maybe. And... Uh, it was a call-in show, right? So the, um, the the call screener would put up on the screen the name of the person as they gave it, and um, and uh, and and also his location. So he always, when he called in, which he did often, he was always Ray from Livermore. Here's his letter. And by the way, I I'm I'm always 
happy when I hear of listeners to my old radio show who found the podcast. Um, so I'm happy Ray did. Here's what he wrote. Thank you. Uh, where, where am I? Hold on. Um, thank you for your wonderful podcast and all the wisdom you share with us. Your most recent podcast, you commented on electric planes. Attached is an article about the failure of very expensive electric buses in Pennsylvania. What was the weak point? <laughs> you already know. The batteries, of course. Thank you again for your show. I found you on KSFO, and I miss that show very much. And uh, he gives me a link, and then he signs Ray from Livermore. Okay, what's the story? You are going to love this as much as I did, I'm sure. This, this is a story about the city of Philadelphia uh, having an adventure with battery-driven electrical buses. And before I go further, let me give you a rough idea of what a 50-passenger uh, normal city bus costs, right? The buses that run on the streets of every single major city, and um, those run about a quarter of a million dollars, right? They pay about 250000 for them, sometimes a little less. And they typically have a lifespan of about uh, 15 years, thereabouts. So, remember, they cost about a quarter of a million dollars. They last for about 15 years. Well, in 2016, Philadelphia bought a fleet of Proterra electric buses. And they paid $1 million per bus. Do you hear that? $1 million per bus. It is now five years later, and the whole fleet has been trashed. Would you be shocked to hear that city-running politicians have just wasted tens of millions of dollars on buying battery buses? Well, at the time they bought them, oh, you could not hear yourself think for all the the, the sound of congratulatory trumpets playing and all the hallelujahs singing, oh, at last, one American city is going to become emissions-free. It's going to run on battery buses. Well, less than five years later, everything has been trashed. <laughs> the buses are gone. And by the way, you know, I chuckle, not because I'm hostile to electricity. Of course I'm not. And it's not that I have any intrinsic objection to buses uh, or electric buses, but don't make decisions based on ideology and your religion. You have a, rel a religion of environmentalism, climate change, and fossil fuels. And so on the basis of that religion, you use the tax money extracted from hardworking Philadelphia citizens, or <laughs> some of them anyway, and uh, and you waste tens of millions of dollars on buses. It was a bad purchase. Why? Well, first of all, uh, batteries are really, really heavy. And uh, I don't know if they redesigned the chassis or they used regular bus chassis, but whatever it is, the weight of those batteries being jolted over potholed Philadelphia streets cracked all the chassis. <laughs> But even before that, there was another problem, and that is battery degradation. I've spoken about that, that the holding power of a battery goes down the more times you recharge it and discharge it. 
And so it didn't take more than two years for these buses to no longer be able to run their routes, to stop at each bus and run the entire route. Couldn't do it anymore. And um, uh, there, unfortunately, there was not a there was not enough space at each terminus of the battery of the uh, bus run in order to put a recharging station. Although how that would have worked with a bus schedule, who knows? At any rate, uh, Philadelphia's experiment with the battery bus fleet, uh, created by the way by the Proterra company also with a lot of fanfare of how this was going to change urban transit. Well, uh, the news report tried to get a comment from the Proterra company, uh, but I did check in the uh, market value of the Proterra company as this information started coming out, plummeted uh, to about 30% down from normal, as people realized, (laughs) this sounds right. Oh, we need battery transport. Hey, if, if you have one that works, I'm happy with that. That's great. You've got an electric plane that works. You've got an electric commuter flying taxi that works. I'm with you. It's good. I have no problem. The trouble is, it doesn't. And they're still wasting money on them. And they're still taking hard-won tax money from farmers in Kansas in order to underwrite Tesla buyers in Beverly Hills. Why? Because it's good for the planet. No, that's your religion. Your religious beliefs say it's good for the planet. And your high priests, whom you like to call scientists, say that it's good for the planet. What are you saying, Rabbi Lappin? Science lies? No, of course science doesn't lie. Scientists lie. The Bible doesn't lie, but there are probably some rabbis who do. No, I don't say probably. I know some. So, uh, yeah, uh, science doesn't lie, but scientists, because like all human beings, they have interests as well as values. And many, many of us uh, will follow our values as far as we possibly can, but we'll also follow our interests as much as we possibly, as much as we need to, I should say. And the need of a scientist is to make sure that he is uh, held in good favor by the deans and the presidents of his university and by the funders and the grant givers and the grant writers and the foundations. And to do that, he has to toe the line on the state-sponsored religion of secular fundamentalism, whose sacred sacrament is climate change and carbon neutrality, etc., 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 there it is. I mean, I find the theology of other religions, frankly, boring, and the theology of the the state, the American state religion of secular fundamentalism, yeah, it's pretty boring as well. So um, that's why I uh, enjoyed the letter from Ray from Livermore, because he alerted to me to this incredible story of the Proterra company and um, the absolute disaster. Um, the... Uh, um, let's see. Oh, La Crosse, Wisconsin, is another city that is trying to buy Proterra buses. But in the in the sequel to this uh, Midsummer 2021 information that Proterra buses fall apart and the batteries degrade to the point that they cannot run their route, um, a lot of places are now wisely cancelling orders that should never have been placed in the first place. Right. You can buy a regular city bus for a quarter the price, and it lasts three times as long. Stop it already. 
just grow up, really. So uh, that is the uh, situation. And uh, I told you why it is that I am encouraging uh, you to listen or watch the first, uh, the first lesson of scrolling through Scripture. And um, it's on rabbidaniellappin.com. You'll be able to find it. And I think you will enjoy it. And I'm also betting that you're going to want to watch the other 19. If you do, that's great. If you don't, that's also great. You still will have got something of benefit and uh, you will become a more knowledgeable person that makes you a better citizen wherever you are living. And that means that you are a bigger blessing for the people around you. So go ahead and uh, discover a little bit about how it is that a seven word sentence in Hebrew, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth how those seven words and 28 letters that comprise those seven words changed the course of human history. Yeah, really. Changed everything. So all of that on scrolling through Scripture. Um, America's President Joe Biden, um, six months into his tenure as president, sort of took a victory lap and uh, one of the questions that cropped up was inflation. And what's happened is that prices on average in the United States of America, prices of, of basic things, you know, gasoline, food, transport, uh, all kinds of things uh, went up. The consumer price index, by the way, reflects this, went up between five and six percent. That's scary. That's a huge increase. And... Um, what results, of course, from that is something called inflation. Why is that? Well, you think about it. The United States of America has had a whole lot of stimulus, right? And uh, what that means is giving out of huge sums of money. And um, there is no sign of that slowing down. The government continues. And now the latest is, again announced by President Biden, $300 a month for any child below the age of, what is it, um, 12 or 15 or whatever it is. And uh, again, a whole lot of money being given out. And uh, it's turning out that all of this money give out is beginning to approach a huge figure of about maybe as much as 25% of America's GDP, gross domestic product. Um, now, while this is going on, while the government has been giving out huge sums of money, the parallel activity has been a damage to the, uh, to the supply line, right? Epidemic-related disruptions have made us short of many, many goods. You remember this started with toilet paper a year ago, uh, or even more than a year ago. And uh, toilet paper's back, but other things are still in short supply. Now, just use logic here, right? Don't worry about whether I have an economics degree. I don't. Don't worry about whether I have served in the United States Treasury Department. I haven't. Just listen to the words and, and you can decide. You know, either they're frivolous and foolish and not worth listening to, or there may be a point to them. But here are my words. When you put out a big flow of money to chase a limited supply of goods, then 
you must expect higher prices. Right? That's what's happening. The government is putting out a lot of money, and meanwhile, the supply chain is not anywhere near normal. And so all of a sudden, people have extra spending money, and they're looking for things <laughs> which aren't there or in limited supply. So obviously, prices go up. That's what happens. This is called inflation. And um, the uh, explanation of Mr. Biden, of President Biden, goes something like this. Um, he says, um, look, um, I'm planning a $4 trillion spending plan, and that is going to keep inflation in check. If we, and now these are his words. If we increase the availability of quality, affordable child care, elder care, paid leave, more people will enter the workforce, Mr. Biden said. These steps will enhance our productivity, raising wages without raising prices. That won't increase inflation. It'll take the pressure off of inflation, give a boost to our workforce, which leads to lower prices in the years ahead. So clearly, uh, Joe Biden believes that cradle-to-grave government subsidies with no obligation to work will somehow cause more people to work. Well, uh, to be sure, that has not worked at all with federal unemployment benefits that have been around and increased by, uh, by quite a lot lately. So um, it's, I, what's so important about this? It's that you have to know there are only two possibilities. Either the government is made up of idiots and stupid, uneducated people, uh, or it's made up of deeply evil and devious um, depraved people. There's only two possibilities. Either Mr. Biden believes that claptrap, or he doesn't, and he's saying it either way. One way makes him an ignoramus, one makes him a scoundrel. I, I don't know, listen, I, I, I don't know another way to interpret it. I really don't. Look, um, let's imagine, for some inexplicable reason of my own, I hired five men, and I paid them all $20 an hour, quite a bit, to do nothing. I want you to all, you five men, uh, I will pay you $20 an hour if you sit under a tree, and um, I don't want you to read, but you can talk, um, you can uh, you can drink not alcoholic beverages you can uh, you can smoke cigarettes or cigars if go ahead but i will go ahead and pay you why is it do you think that that does not harm the economy but if the government gives those men a sum of money every week to sit under a tree that harms the economy why what's the difference now if I were you at this point, I'd pause the podcast for a moment. It's one of the advantages of podcast over radio. And uh, I'd give it a little bit of thought, you know, why it is. And um, when you come back, you will hear me explain that the, the difference is that my money is underpinned by value. There is a limit to it. 
I can't keep doing this indefinitely because I will run out of money. And that's because my money came to me by me delivering value to other people. So the money is not, I didn't print that money. It's not just a piece of paper. It's representative of something that is limited in supply and limited in availability that, uh, that I'm choosing to use in this fashion. This, by the way, is exactly the reason why Bitcoin cannot be dismissed as nothing and as nonsense, as many people try to do. And the reason is because, and I explained this in a podcast a couple of months ago, uh, that it costs a lot of real money to produce Bitcoin. You're using a lot of electricity. I explained that Bitcoin was similar to aluminum in that way. And so, uh, uh, and also Bitcoin is limited. I think the number is at 21 million Bitcoins, but there's a certain point after which no more new ones will be mined. And the cost of mining is going up all the time, just as with any real commodity. And so uh, Bitcoin has the characteristics of real currency in exactly the same way that my money has characteristics of real currency because I had to deliver value in order to obtain it. However, when the government gives out money, that money is obtained, you might say, from taxation. But it's too much. They're giving out far more than can ever be covered with taxation. No problem. The government is, the, the current government in the United States is uh, subscribed to something called modern monetary theory. Now, again, this is an idea that emerged from the minds of people with PhDs. All right? No, ser seriously. No, that's exactly true. Yeah, it's called modern monetary theory. And one of its prime exponents, who uh, taught it to Bernie Sanders and uh, is teaching it to members of the Biden administration, is Professor Stephanie Kelton. And she has, yes, naturally, she has a PhD in economics from a place called the New School for Social Research. And um, her dissertation was entitled Public Policy and Government Finance, a Comparative Analysis Under Different Monetary Systems. Okay, fine. Um, in summation, modern monetary theory says that uh, while ordinary people have to work with a budget, and they cannot spend more than they take in, governments aren't like that because governments issue what's called fiat currency. Fiat currency is currency that is not backed by anything inviolable and substantive. And once a government has the ability to print money, why should there be any limitation? Why should there ever be a reason not to? And so uh, it's very possible that Joe Biden was told by Stephanie Kelton or by others that um, you can print as much money as you like and go ahead and issue it to the people. And that way you uh, will win their votes because people love getting free money and you've got nothing to worry about. So uh, either he buys that, in which case he's incredibly silly, uh, or he knows the truth. And that is that this is a massive subterfuge and a horrendous hoax uh, in which case he's a very, very bad man. But it's one or the other. <laughs> it has to be. And uh, as I think most of you, if not all of you, already know, that the process 
of printing money is incredibly damaging. When a country does that, yes, they are cheating. First of all, it's the most devious way of taxation because it is impossible for not to follow inflation. Right? As I said to you before, this is absolutely standard, and anybody who doesn't have a PhD in economics knows this to be true, and that is that if money is printed beyond the actual value of economic um, substance delivered by the underlying economy, then you have a decrease, a diminution in the value of that currency. And so if prices and uh, costs are going up at about 5% right now in the United States, uh, I would say there's every reason to believe that number is going to go higher. I also believe that the United States government has ways of camouflaging the true rate of inflation. So one has to keep an eye on that. And uh, you have to realize what this means is that if you have a thousand, if it's only 5% inflation, although I think you should look more at 10%, but if you only have 5% inflation, that means that every $100 you leave in the bank quickly only becomes worth 95 so uh, you got $1,000. Guess what? With an inflation rate of only 5%, that's only going to be worth $9.50. You've just lost $50, just like that. Where's it gone? Well, you've been unofficially taxed. Where it's gone is that the government spent it by printing more money. Look, money is, is very complicated. There's no question about it. Um, it's a spiritual thing, and that's why in my programs and in my courses, uh, I do spend a fair amount of time teaching about money because money, you know, money is not like uh, a physical object. You know, money is is not like uh, uh, a bar of gold, or even that is is in symbolism is obviously worth more than than just what it would appear to be. Um, but um, you know, as I always give an example of a saxophone right? I see a saxophone. I know what it is. Uh, it has a certain value based on how many people want saxophones and how many uh, the saxophone manufacturers are building. But money is not like that. Money is entirely the result of the behavior of a large number of human beings who are operating under the umbrella of that currency system. And that's why it is that growing and increasing immorality in a nation, which means, among other things, an increasing number of people who want something for nothing, the result is inflation and everybody loses. So, um, to just be aware, because dishonest governments in every country find the temptation to print money almost irresistible. Which, by the way, you might well too. I certainly wouldn't give, an, give any guarantees, right? You think about it. Let's imagine in a closet in your bedroom, you've got a printing press. All you've got to do is turn the handle and it starts putting out genuine, beautiful, viable, valid $100 bills. I'm not saying counterfeit. I'm saying real. Again, this is all a thought experiment, okay? Um, would you say to yourself, you know what, I haven't earned that money. I'm not going to turn the handle. I'm not going to print $100. If you are, 
then I stand up when you walk into the room out of respect for you. But most people, and certainly people in government, do keep the presses running, partially because they persuade themselves, oh, it's for the good of the people. Truth is, it's to keep themselves in power and to keep themselves spending money. It's not at all for the good of the people. The good of the people is served by an honest currency. And so every time they inflate, every time they print money, uh, you are being cheated. You are being encouraged to not save because that $1,000 you put in a savings account has lost $50 of its value at least. Uh, you're encouraged to spend. That's not good for a country. It's not good for you. But if I know that inflation is going along and tearing along at that rate, then yeah, saving money is a bit of a fool's game, isn't it? And how about all the people, both in America and elsewhere, who've bought government bonds? Basically, Mr. Government, you have borrowed money from people all around the world in exchange for which, you, which you've issued uh, treasury bonds. But now those are losing value. Or any security in, that is denominated in dollars, you're cheating all the people who loaned you money because you're going to be paying them back with dollars worth much less than the dollars you borrowed. So this is all um, rather grim and uh, unpleasant, but at least you know that here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, I will tell you the truth, even if it is unpleasant, because that way at least you can plan and prepare. And uh, right now, at least in the United States of America, I would say ring the inflation alarm bell in your family, in your friendships, in your finances, in your um, uh, faith. Ring that alarm bell because, yes, the uh, inflation train is roaring through the station and I see absolutely no sign of it stopping. Be aware that uh, figures can be manipulated and be aware that uh, Joe Biden, uh, along with all his cohort, are going to be very, very pressured to come up with lower inflation figures. And there are ways that that can be done. Your most reliable way of finding out what inflation really is, is by watching the price of things. You will notice that over the last year, not only has the price of food gone up, but the size of the container in which you get it has been made smaller. Have you noticed that? Right? Uh, you used to get a container of, you know, 64 ounces of orange juice. Big, nice container. And now it's down to 54 ounces of orange juice. Price, a little higher than it used to be for 64. So um, figure out the mathematics on that. And you'll start ending up with a much more correct figure for what is really happening in inflation. And does that mean your savings are being corroded? Well, if they are in cash, yes, terribly. And that's not a good thing because wise people try and keep a few months of cash readily accessible and on hand for life's uncertainties. And now that little cash reservoir is diminishing in value every single month. That's not good. And I don't for a moment doubt that this is happening not only in the United States, but quite possibly in whatever country you are living in. And you can take that information into account as you plan your financial strategy.
That, I think, is as far as we're going to go for today. Uh, please visit the website at rabbidaniellappin.com. Please check out the store. Listen to the free episode of Scrolling Through Scripture. Uh, take a look at a wonderful uh, financial training package for everybody called the Financial Prosperity Collection. You'll do that. That's also a video program. You can download it. You can starting through it. All of that to give you a better shot in the turbulent financial times that lie ahead of us. And uh, I had uh, uh, considered talking a little bit about the space travels of Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson. And um, by the way, I don't begrudge it to them. I've always believed that you have whatever right you wish to spend your money exactly as you wish. If you've earned your money, this doesn't apply to government because the government doesn't earn money. It takes money or, or produces it on the printing press. But anybody who has money because of how they earn it, you are free to spend that in any way you wish. And if you are among the fortunate few or many who recognize how wonderful it is to work for a boss who lets us keep a 90% commission, then you understand that 10% of what you earn isn't even yours and you give it away to people who have less than you. And then you discover that this stimulates an even better flow of revenue. All of that is great. But the remaining 90% do with whatever you wish. You Richard Branson, blast off into space. Jeff Bezos, blast off into space. Whatever you want, no question about it at all. However, it shouldn't be hailed as, oh, steps forward in the uncovering of science, etc., etc. Uh, these are ego trips, and God bless them. They've earned it. They're entitled to it, whatever they want. But the rest of us shouldn't be naive and foolish about it. right? They, they haven't done any huge favor for humanity, um, we're a step closer to setting up human colonies on the moon. Listen, if I were you, I wouldn't bet on that. If I were you, I wouldn't start buying equipment for when you're going to live on the moon or on Mars or anywhere else. Um, not going to happen. So uh, uh, I, uh, I decided not to um, talk a lot about that. Uh, I certainly want to make sure that that you don't mishear me. You know, I have no begrudging them spending it any way they wish. But it's an ego trip, all right? That space trip, that was an ego trip. The idea that this is being done for the good of humanity and that it's going to help us move forward, that's complete rubbish, and uh, you shouldn't believe it. It's foolish. So uh, that, my friends, is it. Go to the website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Let me know if you'd like to have a discussion forum for the podcast and i'd be happy to have us put that up and uh, let me know any other thoughts you have I, I read your letters as you all know by now and um, i would also uh, want to wish you all a wonderful week ahead all right a week of good times in your relationships with god with your money with your family and with your friends and yes, with your own body, your, your own physical health as well. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless.